Undeceptions podcast. Yes, people are sneering at Qataris. Yes, they are calling the country backwards. Because in the eyes of many Westerners, unless you get on board the progressive bus, you're going to get run over by it. Imagine a DeLorean time machine car appears outside your house this year and you get in and you're told that you're going to 2052 to see what the future looks like. You arrive and you see what it actually looks like 30 years from now. Do you want that future? What would you do to get there or to get away from that future? That's what we're going to find out. How about this? It's World Cup time in Qatar. Or well, that's football or soccer to some of you, but it's World Cup time. And the head of governing body FIFA, Gianni Infantino, made this statement just before kickoff in the first match. Today I have very strong feelings, he said. Today I feel Qatari. Today I feel Arab. Today I feel African. Today I feel gay. Today I feel disabled. Today I feel a migrant worker. Now what on earth is going on? What would make Infantino say that? What does he mean? First of all, football is a game of two halves, between two sides looking for one result. But increasingly, it's also a game of two views. Two views of the world being played off the pitch. And the football game seems a lot more cut and dried, much more straightforward than the other game, which is the one that Infantino was referring to. Now, as this goes to air, my home country of Australia has lost its opening game to France 4-1, an absolute disaster. Yet Saudi Arabia has beaten Argentina, amazing. And Japan has beaten Germany. And was he brought down by the goalkeeper, the now, outside of Australia, I follow England, the perennial hopefuls of football, whose first and last victory in the World Cup was 1966. That was the year before I was born. Football has changed a lot since 1966. The boots, the ball, the money, the clothing, the professionalism, the money. Did I mention the money? But the way the world has changed since 1966 is dramatic also. The Beatles, the sexual revolution, Racism in sport being highlighted, the Women's World Cup, LGBTQI rights, all that sort of thing. And football has come into two very different worlds. Some of the world has changed a lot since 1966, and some of the world has not gotten with that program. And therein lies the tension. The World Cup is being held in a Muslim-majority country in West Asia, and it's holding it at the very time that sport in the West has taken on a, an almost teaching role, an almost religious instruction role in promoting values and viewpoints that have arisen in the Western world since 1966. And it's promoting those to the wider society, telling the wider society what human flourishing is all about. Now, the problem is, of course, that much of the rest of the world, the majority world, holds different values values different things 
and often views those Western viewpoints unfavourably. There are parallel worlds at the World Cup. Two teams. One team is more progressive, a post-religious world, and one team is more culturally conservative, a religiously observant world. Who will win if it came down to a penalty shootout? You see, the myth of Western progress is that given enough time, opportunity, money, education, people in that majority world will eventually think like the football teams from Germany and England, for example. And Qatar, among many other nations, just doesn't seem to be doing that. And the World Cup this year is simply driving those differences home. So where's it all going? First, let's go back to that statement by the FIFA president. Here's the replay. Today, I have very strong feelings, he said. Today, I feel Qatari. Today, I feel Arab. Today, I feel African. Today, I feel gay. Today, I feel disabled. Today, I feel a migrant worker. In other words, the FIFA president, representing global football's evangelistic zeal, wants to do perhaps what the Apostle Paul said of himself. He wants to take the message everywhere. He wants to be all things to all people, so to speak. And the president covers his majority world people, Qatari, Arab, African. And then he covers his Western world people, or at least the major concerns they have about the World Cup being held in a part of the world whose values they don't value. Gay, disabled, migrant worker. And how could it be all things to all people, including ways that seem apparently contradictory? Here's how he put it. I was bullied at school. That's his victim story. He recognises there are victims across the world. He recognises that there's an intersectionality totem pole at play. So he shows himself to be a victim and so give himself credibility by being a red-haired, freckled Italian boy back in the day. Now, this effort by Infantino to identify with the victims was scorned across the newspapers and media in the world. Greg Baum, writing in the Melbourne newspaper The Age, had this to say. We don't doubt that schoolyard mockery of young Infantino was unpleasant, but we can't get our heads around the idea that it made him as one with gays who stand to go to jail here for being themselves, or Indian and Pakistani construction workers who died building the stadiums and infrastructure for this World Cup. Now, a little bit of a backstory. The awarding of the World Cup to Qatar in 2010 was seen as a mockery in and of itself. The front runner to host it, Australia, was knocked out in the battle. And that's the only time, incidentally, it seems that Australia will ever be a front runner at soccer in the World Cup. But money, it was suspected, spoke loudly. Money spoke the global language before whom both views of the world, progressive and conservative, seem very happy to bow down to. So here we are some 12 years later in searing heat during regular season for domestic competitions across Europe, playing football in a country not known for football and a country also known for having a dubious human rights record. And we're watching Argentina's older players melt like cheese in the sun and we're watching football chiefs melt under the hot glare of a disapproving Western media. 
You see, football is not simply football. The global game is setting itself up, whether host nations like it or not, to pitch a grand vision for what the world should be like, how diverse things should be. And Qatar, well, it isn't really playing that game. Now, I'll tell you how you know that. Google Qatar and these types of questions come up. Can you hold hands in Qatar? Can you drink alcohol in Qatar? Is it legal to be gay in Qatar? Can you live with your girlfriend in Qatar? Can I wear shorts in Qatar? To which I would say some people should never wear shorts anywhere. In other words, will Qatar allow us as Westerners to do what everyone else knows is normal life? And apparently the answer is, well, not really, or else with some caveats. You don't simply get to do in Qatar what you want to do. There are lots of rules and regulations about what public life should be like. Now, Qatar itself is a strange beast. Doha, its capital, was a sandy back block in the 1980s. Go Google some pictures of that. But by 2010, it was a gleaming modern city in so many ways, and in not so many ways. At least not modern in how a Western mindset works. And the two main issues coming up all the time were gay rights, active homosexual lifestyles are punishable by the law in Qatar, and workers' rights, you see, the vast bulk of the stadiums for this tournament were built by migrant workers. Though workers and rights aren't words that go together in Qatar, you see. Qatar has a population of some 2.3 million people. But you know what? Only 300,000 or so are actual citizens. The rest are migrant workers. Qatar is a two-speed economy. It's a game of two halves, if you will. Wealthy citizens with lots of rights and poor migrants who are building edifices to all that wealth who have very few rights. So sexual freedom and workplace rights and alcohol, all these things come together in Qatar as things that are not seen from a Western perspective. You see, alcohol's the big one at the moment for the World Cup. The stadiums are dry and getting alcohol around the place is hard. Now that makes sense. Qatar is a Muslim country after all. But the second biggest concern of many European fans was that there would be limited supplies of alcohol. Their biggest concern, of course, was going out in the first round. But even that could be soothed by alcohol. Yet Qatar has held firm. It won't promote the rainbow colours at the tournament, and it limits alcohol sales, and certainly none in the stadiums. Yet let's be clear, if you're a conservative listening to this, this is no clean skin country. Local brothels service the migrant workers who have wearied themselves and in too many cases killed themselves in industrial accidents. And there are designated drinking areas too. You can get what you want at a price. Yet with the eyes of the West upon it, the all critical eyes of the liberal West, Qatar isn't buying in to the new vision of what the world should be like. Here's what Josh Glancy from the Times of London concluded after his tour of Doha. In truth, for all the liberal pablum they've put on about female empowerment and the greenest World Cup ever, for all the murals dedicated to migrant workers and attempts at sports washing, the Qataris only half care what the West thinks. They can continue selling us their gas and mostly ignore the teeth gnashing. Glancy goes on to say, they are fed up with apologizing and fed up with what they view as Western hypocrisy and double standards. 
centuries of imperialism, war in Iraq, far more complaints over this tournament than were made about Russia in 2018. And if football was meant to bring the world together and getting the World Cup was supposed to advance your society, well, look how things are working out in Russia. And here's what's noticeable. Any Westerner who has signed up to promote Qatar's World Cup is being absolutely shredded by influencers back home. And I mean that quite literally. David Beckham, Mr. Global Football himself, and an ambassador for this tournament, as well as something of a gay icon, despite not being gay, was absolutely scorched by English comedian Joe Lycett for being involved in this World Cup. Lycett said he would publicly shred 10,000 pounds if Beckham didn't back down. And Beckham didn't. So Lycett shredded the money. But ha, the joke's on you. He did a fake shred and instead he donated the money to LGBTQI causes before promptly shredding the front cover of the Attitude magazine in 2002, the gay magazine, which featured David Beckham on the front cover. Now, perhaps Christians could do a similar thing and donate the money to Open Doors or an organisation such as that that helps the persecuted church in places like Qatar. What you say? The churches can operate in Qatar. Isn't that true? Yes. But to slightly tweak the words of Greg Baum from The Age newspaper, if you truly want to be yourself in Qatar, gay is one way of being that. But becoming a Christian is another way, and that too is a crime. Sure, Christians can come and go as migrant workers, but if you're a citizen, if you're one of those 300,000 Qataris who attempts to convert, well, you know what? It's officially punishable by death. Now, not that that has happened recently. Qatar has, after all, signed the Universal Declaration of Rights, Article 18 on freedom of religious belief. Yet that sits under Sharia law, which actually prohibits conversion. Here we are in the West, somehow in the midst of a culture war between progressives and conservatives around freedom of expression. And here's what Qatar is saying, a pox on both your houses. And of course, that's not just Qatar. There's a whole swathe of the world that before we even think of traveling there, we need to find answers to those Google questions that we just take for granted as we live life in the West. This is truly a game of two halves. So what can we do about this? Perhaps it's not so much what we can do as how we can start to think. Think about the way we're going to have to live with deep difference across the globe and even in our own nation. Perhaps this World Cup will help us think about that. For an example of how not to think, here's Josh Glancy from The Times again. The World Cup is forcing us to look at countries we're usually happy to ignore. We buy gas from Qatar, we sell it prime London property like Harrods and the Shard, we sneer and harumph at its backwardness. But do we know or care what this place is really like? Now we do. The Qataris have our attention. Did you pick that line up? Do we sneer and harumph at their backwardness? Well, only if in your mind we've moved beyond Qatar, moved beyond the medieval thinking, so to speak 
that its inhabitants hold. Meanwhile, Qataris are wondering why there's such an obsession with alcohol in the West, why no event can apparently be complete without it. They couldn't be looking at the drunkenness and alcoholism that is a scourge across many of the nations taking part at the World Cup and go, well, why don't we get ourselves some of that? And when it comes to sexuality, or at least seeing our sexual expression as our true authenticity, when it comes to seeing lifestyles they don't agree with being promoted in their country, then it does raise questions. It raises questions about just how colonial our post-religious modern enlightened sentiment in the West actually is. Yes, people are sneering at Qataris. Yes, they are calling the country backwards. Because in the eyes of many Westerners, unless you get on board the progressive bus, you're going to get run over by it. Now, none of that is to say that I agree with how the Qataris roll out their religious restrictions or even their sexual restrictions. The Christian West gave the liberty of conscience and freedom of association and personal autonomy program that so much of the rest of the world turns up its nose at. You see, I don't have to agree with the gay lifestyle of my lesbian neighbors, but I do have to live alongside them as a good and caring neighbor. And that's the way it should be. Well, that's the way it should be in my non-Qatari eyes at least. And I'm deeply troubled by a country that won't give rights to those who have pulled the shiny tower blocks and football stadiums of Doha out of the sand at the cost of their blood. Do you know what? I speak to enough migrants from the Middle East and other majority world countries who are looking at the West and they're not seeing it as the be all and end all. They don't want to be like us when they grow up. Sure, the money and the opportunity and the safety are great things here in the West, but so often they pity our thin community life, our family disconnection, our generalised anxiety as we live out life in some of the safest places in the world. In short, they know that many of us in the West, despite our diversity credentials, sneer at what actual hard diversity looks like. Perhaps this World Cup is a time to sober us. Australia's results do that enough, but jokes aside, to sober us to realise that just as the powerhouse football teams of Europe and South America get eclipsed by newcomers, so too might the powerhouse of Western nations and their ideas of what society should look like. In Qatar, we might just be getting a glimpse of a global future, one that might shock us, that might disturb our ideals about where the world is headed. But you know what? Upsets happen all the time. Just ask Argentina. Just ask Germany. The World Cup is showing us a world that could be our future. Podcast.